Bibles with, if you will, to Exodus chapter 25. Let's just jump right in. Exodus chapter 25. Now Moses, you might remember, Moses stood before Pharaoh. And what did he say? He said, God says, let my people go. Let my people go that they might worship me. You remember that? He didn't stop with just let my people go. He didn't stop with, I just want my people out of slavery. Let them go so that I can have a relationship with them. Let them go so that I can dwell among them, so I can tabernacle among them. I want them to worship me. I want to have this interaction. And How, were, how is that worship going to happen? When he said Pharaoh, stood before Pharaoh and said, God says, let my people go that they might worship me. How are they going to worship what we see? We've been talking about it. Our series we're in the middle of right now is the tabernacle. And as we're talking about the tabernacle, um, this is exactly what the Lord wanted to do among his people. He wanted to tab- tabernacle amongst them, to be amongst them. From the book of Genesis forward, all God wanted was to be with you. Just let that sink in. God, if, you, if you're sitting here today saying, I feel like God is so far off. I feel like he's just, he's just so far off. I, just, I feel like I'm in a season where, God, where are you? First off, let me just encourage you with something. You're not the first to feel that way. In fact, take some time to read the Bible. <laughs> You'll see even King David felt that way. Read the Psalms. Read the Lamentations. Read, just read Read the Bible and you'll see. But there's others in this room that we go through seasons. I just, but I just, I believe God wants to use this series to remind you that He is not far from you. And if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible specifically says the Holy Spirit of God resides inside of you. We've been talking about that every Wednesday the past uh, few weeks. I'm, I'm so glad for all of you that were able to come through those Acts 2:42 nights. They've been a lot of fun, and, and uh, we'll do those again sometime. But we've been talking about how God wanted to, to be with us. And think back to the garden. Can you think back to the Garden of Eden? When God was walking amongst Adam and Eve, and there was what? They, they, it, it just, his presence was there. He was talking, walking, whatever. And then when sin came, what happened? Shut that puppy down. <laughs> Adam and Eve, you sinned. We all know it's Eve's fault, so... No, just joking. So Eve and Adam, you're out of here. Got kicked out of the garden. Up until, keep going, keep going, keep going. But it wasn't until the tabernacle was built amongst God's people, the Israelites. It wasn't until then that um, God created another pattern, another way for him to be in their midst. Because you know how I just said, when if you're born again, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you? In the Old Testament, not so. Not yet. Not yet. That wasn't until Jesus died, rose again, and he sent the uh, the Holy Spirit. So God wants to be with us. In in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, this is what it says. It's kind of our main verse for the whole series. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. And so as 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 we're thinking about this, let's take a look at the tabernacle again. Because some of you, this may be your first Sunday here. You're like, uh, what are you talking about here? Well, the, the tabernacle and, and later, which became the temple, is where the Lord comes to be with us. He decided. He said, I want to be with you. If you ever, you're in that thing where you're like, well, I know God wouldn't want to be with me. 
Well, the, the problem is that goes against what the Word of God says. He wants to be with you. He chose to be with his people. Everyone was around the tabernacle. And I know this is an artist's rendering. We actually didn't have a picture of then. But anyhow, um, but they, you can see the tents set up around, and they all set up around you. Uh, the first week in the first message, <clears throat> uh, I shared with you another couple of pictures that, of what it, what it looked like. And, and I, I believe on the back of your notes that should be in the back of the seats, there's this map, or this, this picture is actually on there. If it's not, I apologize. Is it on there? Oh, bless your hearts. Okay, so, so as, you, as you look at this, they all camped around the present, the tabernacle of God. The tabernacle is in the midst of them. He's dwelling among his people. And we've, we've been in the outer court. Uh, remember, we enter his gates, the gate there with thanksgiving in our heart. We enter his courts with praise. This, is, this was the thought. This was the idea. But today, we're going past the courts. We're going in the tent, under the tent. You remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about the altar, and this is the altar where the sacrifice was made for, our, uh, for, for, for sin or praise or worship. or There's all kinds of different sacrifices that would be made there on the altar, ultimately pointing to what? The greatest sacrifice ever paid on the cross. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that's, it was a bloody business there at the altar. Last week we talked about the laver. Next up there, the laver, the, the basin, the, the wash basin, and where, where the priest, before they do any ministry, in fact, before the priest would do any ministry, they'd come to the, and they'd hit the laver. Before they'd even go to the altar, they'd have to go to the laver, and they'd wash their hands and their feet, and then they'd take care of stuff at the altar, and they'd, they'd go through that whole business before they'd ever be able to go back uh, or to go into the where we're going today the the holy place the the actual tent before they'd be able to go in there they'd have to wash again wash again what was this symbolically before the priest ever started his ministry he would know to he'd, he'd need to go to water and uh, and we we looked last week about how jesus at the very start of his ministry do you remember he went to water he, john the baptist baptized him we see that but it's a different this this labor is different for the for the priest than it is for Jesus and, and for us being water baptized because when the priest would go cleanse themselves they're saying I need to be cleansed and so they wash themselves saying I'm a sinner I need to be cleansed I understand that it's a confession it's humility <clears throat> but when we're baptized we aren't confessing we're celebrating amen when we're baptized, it's, it's not be, because I need to be uh, necessarily cleansed because I've already been cleansed. I've already made the commitment to follow Christ. I have been cleansed. We're baptized not because it's the finishing act of salvation. We're baptized because we get to show the picture of what Christ has done. When we go under the water and we come back up, he's been died, he, he was buried, and he rose again. And this is critical to your faith. Can I just encourage you? If you've never been water baptized, what are you waiting for? Come on. I, I, I encourage you in, in, in the Lord. I encourage you with scripture. Sign up. Let's, let's water baptize you here later on in, in April, and it's going to be a great Sunday. So we talked about the altar, and we talked about the laver in the outer court. Now we're going to go into the tent. The only people who could go in the tent, though, were priests. Now, I haven't talked a lot and explained anything about priests, but let me just real quick just talk to you about that. Because I want you to be aware. So these, and the only people that could enter into the, the, the tent 
and um, the, the holy place, and the most holy place, eventually the only people that could go in there, well, actually the holy place was, was the priest. The most holy place was the high priest, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, but the people who would, who would minister here at the tabernacle were the Levites. Now, some of you are like, well, who were the Levites? I know you're all thinking that. Let me just help you understand. Anytime you see something that says ites at the end, uh, you, you just know the first part kind of describes who the ites are. So in our community, let's just say this. Let's, let's, let's jump from the Old Testament to current. Let's go Mennonites. Mennonites. Who were they? Who were the Mennonites, the followers of Menno Simons, Mennonites? So when you see Jebusites or you see um, uh, Gadites or, or you see Levites in the Bible, uh, the ites part, you could, oh, that points to something. Well, what's the first part? The first part is Levi, Levites. So, so if we were to talk today, we'd say the Jeremyites or the Davidites or the Madites or the Joshites or the Duaneites or the Scottites. I'm, I'm a Davidite, I guess. My dad's name was David. But he, so, so basically, when you see the Levites, they were from the tribe of, uh, or they're, 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 yeah, from the tribe of Levi. And so Levi, if you, if, if you even go back to Genesis chapter 12 in your brain, I, I just want to connect something here. Just, just stay with me. Follow me here. Abraham. Abraham had a, a son. He had one son. Do you remember what his name was? He w- went up to Mount Moriah with his son. His name was Isaac. And Isaac had a son named Jacob. And Jacob had a son named Levi. Well, I had more than that. But, but, so Jacob had Levi. So that's the connection to the Levites. Well, there were 12 tribes that were around this tabernacle. 12 tribes. Why? Favorites, favorites. Why did God, why did he say the Levites get to be the priests? Who are they, brown nosers? I mean, what, what are they? Who do they think they are? Well, let me just show you real quick. The book of Exodus. Look at this. Exodus chapter three, 32. Do you remember when Moses was up getting the Ten Commandments? He was downloading on the tablets. We had tablet issues here, I understand, in the nursery. Moses had tablet issues, too. He got men, and they cracked. Sometimes my tablets crack, too. But when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And what did they do? They, they got all their gold together, and they built, what, a golden calf, right? That whole business was going on. Well, when Moses started coming down, this is what happened. Look at this next verse, verse 25, chapter 32. When Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of the control and so become a laughingstock to the enemies, so he stood at the entrance of the camp and said, whoever's for the Lord, come to me. And who rallied? The Levites. Now, is that because something had already happened in the tribe of Levi? Some would say, the fact of the matter is, you go on and you read, and God says, the Levites are going to be blessed because you stood for righteousness. You stood for what was, it's like the Levites rallied to him. Oh, they weren't necessarily perfect, but they, they said, and then you keep reading on, and there was a bit of a slaughter of a couple thousand people that the Levites um, uh, did, and, and that's a whole other message. But I, I just want to encourage you, I'll encourage this church, let's be in this sense like the Levites. When, when, when all baloney is breaking loose and sin is rampant in our communities rampant in our in our nation let's be the one that whoever's for the lord come to me let's let's stand for righteousness let's stand for what's holy let's stand let's do it with love but the most loving thing we can do 
It's to point people to the love of Jesus Christ, which is holy and pure and just. So, so this is where the Levites came in. Now, just follow me here. The Levites were, were one of the 12 tribes, and uh, they, they all had different, different work and different things that, that they would do to help with the, with the tabernacle. But out of that then, there were priests. Not all Levites were priests, but if you think about Levites, and then out of that came the priests that would serve regularly. And the priests were a group of qualified men from within the tribe of the Levites who had the responsibility to oversee the tabernacle worship. And what happened here? Um, they were the ones who performed animal sacrifices on behalf of the people. It was only the priests who were permitted to enter into the holy place in the tabernacle and later the temple. Let's move on. Let's go into the temple. Excuse me. Let's go into the tabernacle. Let's go into that tent. You want to go with me? Let's, let's go into the tent. Let's see what's in the tent. Come on. Oh, what's that? You're a little nervous? Wait, what are you nervous about? What? You're like, I'm not a priest. <laughs> Who am I? Uh, uh, Scott, I think this is a little bit out of, a, out of my comfort zone because I'm not a priest, Scott. I'm just kind of a regular Joe trying to love Jesus, serve God, read the Bible, pray. It's, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to be, well, let, let me remind you what we talked about last week in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. Can I just remind you of that? So even, we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks, but when, when uh, if you go back to the tabernacle, the, the most holy place is all the way, all the way, like where you see the ark there, and there's, there's a curtain there. When Jesus died, you might remember, we'll, we'll connect this on Easter Sunday, but when Jesus died, the curtain was torn and Jesus, through his blood and his sacrifice, made a way for us to go directly into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, where the high priest could only go once a year. We can now go whenever we want because of what Jesus did. You are a royal priesthood. That's awesome. How powerful is that? So as we walk in there, let's walk into the tent. Let's look around and take a look. And the first thing we're going to see as we walk in there on the right-hand side is the, the table of the bread, the table of the shoe bread or show bread. However you want to say it, there's different versions say different things. And as you look at this table, I'm not saying this is the perfect rendering. It was a rendering, so I'm using it, okay? Um, so as, as you look at that, before we even get to the bread, let's take a look at the table. And I just tell you that the table was made of acacia wood. Now, in the King James Version, it's shittim wood. But lest any of you think I'm swearing in church, we're going to stick with acacia. Does that sound good? We'll stick with acacia. Acacia wood. And this acacia wood was known, as I was studying this, is what I found. It's strong, resilient, tough. And it was overlaid with, with gold and decorated with gold. There are some would say that the gold wasn't just a cover, that they'd put it on thick. At some points, even a couple inches thick of gold. So why is this important? I'm not saying it's a huge thing that you must remember, but let's remember as we study the tabernacle, this is all, all pointing to the New Testament and pointing to Jesus and either something he did for us or something he was or represented. And I just think, I do think it's interesting that this table was made of wood, the natural, and, and it was covered in gold, which talks to kingship or someone who's uh, very uh, a royalty, someone who's very, very important. There was a natural sense of the acacia wood and there was this king, king there's this gold mixture that came together as we think about Jesus, he was 
in the natural. He was fully man, yet he was fully God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Even the table, the way they built that table, I don't think was by chance. It was pointing to the fact, to the deity of Jesus Christ and the fact that he was fully man and fully God. This table was to be placed on the north side of the holy place inside the tabernacle. The details concerning the border are, uh, and, and the relatively wide rim um, indicates that this, this would be not only a beautiful work of craftsman art, but a functional table. In fact, can we read about that? Can we go to Exodus chapter 25? Are you there yet? Exodus 25, go to verse 23, and let's read this. Make a table of acacia wood, two cubits long, a cubit wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold and make a gold molding around it. Verse 25. Also make around it a rim, a handbreadth wide, a handbreadth wide, and put a gold molding on the rim. Make four gold rings for the table and fasten them to the four corners where the four legs are. The rings are to be close to the rim to hold the poles used in carrying the table. Make the poles of acacia wood. Overlay them with gold and carry the table with them. And make its plates and dishes of pure gold, as well as its pitchers and bowls for the pouring out of offerings. But put the bread of the presence on this table to be before me at all times. I think it's interesting, even the tableware is mentioned. I just want to focus in on just one thing uh, on the tableware specifically. We're not even to the bread yet. We're going to get there. We're going to finish the message with that. But just, do you notice there's pitchers and bowls? And in these pitchers and bowls, there would be strong drink. There would be wine. And these would be used later on as part of the, they call it a drink offering. In fact, as you, as you study specifically in Numbers, I'm not sure if these passages are in your notes or not, just like as a reference, you can read them later on, but Numbers 15 specifically, it talks about when they would go to the altar and they'd sacrifice the lamb or the goat or whatever, they would also take some of this strong drink and they would offer that on the altar. They would pour out this strong drink. Why would they pour out the strong drink? Some commentators would say that they wonder if it's even like a stronger beer than even a wine. I don't know. The fact of the matter is this. It was specifically meant in the Bible to be a strong drink. Why is that important? Because it's signifying something that's coming. And it's, it's more than just a strong drink. It's the most powerful thing that's ever been poured out, and that's the blood of Jesus on the cross. See, I'm about ready to read a verse that all of a sudden now is going to make sense to you because they would take that, that strong drink and they would pour it out along with that sacrifice that, that would be poured out. It would be taken off of this, this table, and they would pour that out on the sacrifice. Now look at Luke chapter 22 and tell me if this verse doesn't make sense even more now. And the same way, after supper, this is Jesus. He took the cup saying, this cup is, talking about communion, our little things here, this cup is the new covenant my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus was that drink offering. He poured out himself. He poured out his blood for us. Just like those priests in the Old Testament would pour out that strong drink, that wine, whatever it was, they poured out on that sacrifice, on that, on that fire and everything. They'd pour that out in the same way Jesus poured out his blood for us. So on this table, there would be plates and dishes and pitchers and bowls. And, but maybe most interesting would be this. There would be bread. The main use of the table was as a display for the bread of the presence, is what the Bible calls it. The bread of the presence. And I would say very closely, um, as, uh, 
you know, that little wafer there, uh, not quite bread of the presence level, but, you know, it's, it's the idea. It's the idea, and, um, and it's, 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 it points to, the, obviously, the body of, of our Lord, and, and we'll talk more about that in a second. But as, as you think about, the, even, even in Scripture, where, where it calls it the bread of the presence, when you look at it in your Bibles, if you still have them open, um, in verse 30, put the bread of the presence. Did you notice there's, there's a capital P? The bread of the presence? Why would there be a capital P? right there because it's not just talking about the presence of anything it's talking about the presence of almighty god and the presence of jesus you know this this uh table here it was it was um uh you can you can read through uh the actual cubits and all that kind of stuff people have figured out how how big was this table just follow me here it it was probably about three feet long and one and a half feet wide and two and a quarter feet high I, i i'm not saying that that's as I studied, I thought, man, that seems really small. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, but th- this is what people would say. If you take it from cubits to feet, that's where it would be at. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, I think that one of the things most interesting uh, to catch just about the table itself is two and a quarter feet high. It's just over two feet high. Why is it only? Uh, is, if I went to your house today and sat at your dining room table, would we be two and a Maybe your kids, like Play-Doh table, you know, or whatever. Play, but it's because in 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 the culture at, at this time, and even in New Testament times, they it wasn't so much that they'd sit at a chair and come and eat at the table. They'd often recline at the table. So it would be fitting that okay, that makes a little sense, more sense of why it's so low to the ground. But the fact that the bread was on there, there was they, they would put it in these piles of six and six, and and that that might not do it um, uh, do a disservice that that picture because it was the bread of the presence of God, and this was a hefty amount. I um, I understand even as you read in Leviticus chapter twenty four and other places, it talks about uh, how this bread would be made, and they were large loaves of bread, so, somewhere upwards of seven quarts of flour in one in one thing of bread and 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 so you do that 12 times that's a lot of bread fred <laughs> this bread you know you, you go to you go to um the pagan shrines of the time and they would lay food out in the pagan shrines you know at, at the time the pagan gods and and other gods they would and it was it was kind of like an offering to that god here god you can eat this this bread wasn't placed there for our god to eat because he didn't need that. This, the, 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 this, it was not to be eaten by anyone other than, ah, the priests. In fact, you read, um, uh, you read the, the, the Exodus as well as even in the Numbers and Leviticus, and you'll see that's exactly what happened. The priests were then uh, to eat this bread um, and uh, to take this in. And then on, um, on the Sabbath, so every Friday when Sabbath would come, they'd replace all that bread with fresh bread. There was always to be bread on that table. Why is this so important? It's the bread of the presence. It's the, it's, it's the presence of God. It's the presence of Jesus. There were, there were 12 of them, um, most would say representing the 12 tribes, but it, re- it represented the one whom later would declare himself to be what? The bread of life. And that's Jesus Christ. Bible scholar Lawrence Richards, I just was studying, and I've, I saw this in the commentary. I thought this is good. It, it is best to take the show bread as symbolic of Christ, the bread of life, and to see in the great size of the loaves the generous provision God has made for us in our Lord. Boy, I think that gives us a great picture. We're not talking like uh, 
you know, just you go grab a loaf off the shelf type thing. We're talking, this is, there was actually a family, a line uh, in the line of Levites. So there's Levites and there was a line that it was their family job every week to, to make the bread. Every week to cook the bread and make sure that when it came Sabbath time, there was fresh bread to replace this. The bread of life, though, when you, when you think about Jesus being called the bread of God, the bread of life. If you could just turn one more place in your Bibles today, and then we'll end here. It's in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus declares himself to be the bread of life. So let's just, let's just run with this. John chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus had, had actually just fed the 5,000 maybe a day before or whatever. You remember where he, he, he multiplied the bread and the fish? Amazing miracle, one of my favorite stories in, in the Gospels that I love to uh, think on. But, but in John chapter 6, verse 33, it says this. Uh, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 34. They said, uh, from, sir, from now on, give us this bread. And verse 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. The Jews wanted a daily supply of physical bread. But, but here God had given them his son as the true heavenly bread to meet their daily spiritual needs. The present tense indicates there's a continual supply. This isn't just a one and done. This is like, I'll be your sustenance. I'll be your bread. I'll be the thing that you can live on. This is the air I breathe. We sang it. This is my daily bread. We sang that a few moments ago. I mean, Jesus says, I'll be that to you. <laughs> and all the Jews that he's talking to, they probably were thinking about a little bit earlier when, when the woman at the well, I'm sure they heard that story, where, where Jesus is like, I'll give you living water. And the gal's like, oh, this will be great. I'm kind of tired of carrying all these things. for the, And they got the, the, all these buckets or whatever it was, they're carrying water. Go, go to go. You mean you can give me all the water I need? I don't have to carry these buckets anyway? This would be great. Completely misunderstanding the fact that he was, Jesus was offering her living water where she had not a thirst anymore. That was spiritual water. And, and so now it's bread. And the, and the Jews are like, oh, sir, they said, from now on, this sounds good. We'd like to have this bread. <laughs> it's like, you're missing the point here. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. If people wanted this bread, they must come to Jesus and believe in him. And when Jesus used these words, I am, he's pointing to the fact that he's unique, divine identity. I'll say more about this in a second. But he who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst again. I am the bread of life. So as the priests were in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, they were handling the bread. As they were eating that bread, it was, it was symbolizing the fact that one day there would be one who would come down, fully God, yet fully man, and he would live among us and declare himself, himself to be this, our sustenance, declare himself to be that very bread. William Barclay. Again, another quote. It'll be on the screen. Read this. I am the bread of life. Here is at the same time one of the greatest claims and one of the greatest offers of Jesus Christ. He either really is who he says he was or he's an absolute lunatic. Right? I got good news. He is who he says he was. He is, the, he is our sustainer. In fact, grab your notes. Fill these in. I think all the points are going to be on the first page. So you can write really quick and fill all these in at once if you want. 
or you can wait till we go to each one of them. But what's in this phrase? I am the bread of life. Let's just finish up with this. Here it is. Jesus is saying he's essential for life. Jesus is saying he is essential for life. By equating himself with bread, Jesus is saying he's essential. The phrase, you know, the phrase, who is an essential worker? <laughs> Does that make your blood boil just hearing that phrase? You are an essential worker. You are not an essential worker. You are the, that whole thing is just d- disgusting. So I, I almost, I, th- this whole idea of what's essential and what's not just in this season of my life, I, I'm not sure. I, that's almost like a swear word also, essential. We're all essential in God's economy. But, but when, you, when you think about the essentialness of bread in this, in this, even in this culture, John chapter 6, and even in ours. Now I realize some of you are allergic to certain things and so you, you, you get blessed with the opportunity to eat bread that's the consistency of cardboard. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. Love myself some bread. And it's our sustenance. And that's the, that's the thought. When you hear Jesus say, I'm the bread of life, I want to sustain you. I, I, I'm essential to you. Put your faith in me. In fact, number two, the life Jesus is referring to is not physical life, but eternal life. Jesus is trying to get the Jews thinking off the physical realm and into the spiritual realm. He's contrasting what he brings as their Messiah with the bread he miraculously created a few days ago. I mean, put yourself in the context of John chapter 6. And a few days ago, there's a little boy who miraculously had not touched his lunch yet. And he's got fish and he's got bread. And Jesus takes that. He blesses it, he breaks it, he blesses it, and he distributes it. Well, the, the, the disciples distribute it, and what happens? They have leftovers, and they fed 5,000 men, so there was probably two or three times as many women and children that were there. He miraculously created bread and mo- multiplied this bread. And Jesus is like, listen, I know that was cool, that was great, but I'm, I'm, now, I'm switching gears. Follow me here, I'm switching gears. I'm not talking about physical bread anymore, I'm talking about... Um, uh, uh, excuse me, I'm, not talk, I'm talking about spiritual bread for you. I'm talking about your sustenance. The life of Jesus is not physical, but eternal life. Number three, Jesus is making another claim to deity. Man, I know I keep hitting this, but I just feel like in this season, we gotta keep hitting this. The first statement in the I am statements here in John's gospel, other places in John's gospel, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He says, I am the gate. He says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the true vine. When he says those words, I am, it would be like for you and I living in northern Indiana, if, if, if someone lives in northern Indiana, you, you are pretty clear. You know what lake effect snow is. I'm just tossing that out there. Lake effect snow. I'm not praying we get any tonight, but I'm just saying, if someone says, oh, lake effect snow, it's coming. Now, if you live down, I don't know, in the middle of Georgia, would you be concerned about lake effect snow? Would you even really understand? what? Or even the words, Michiana. If you live in our area, Michiana. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll hear someone uh, use that word maybe on a, on a different, and they'll, they'll, Michiana, they'll say, what is this? Well, if you live in this area and you hear Michiana, Michigan, Indiana, this whole area, you know what that means. Why? Because you live in this area. For the Jews, when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, that very word, I am, would instantly take them back to even Moses. <laughs> when he's like, who's going to send me to stand before Pharaoh? Tell him the I am sent you. The I am that I am. Jesus 
in maybe a little bit of a veiled way, but a true way, in a way that he knew those people would understand. He's declaring himself to be God. He's declaring his deity. And I, I know for some of you, are like, Scott, get off your high horse. Get, get off this thing. No, I'm just telling you, we can't. I want every, every person who's in this room to hear me clearly. Jesus was fully man, and he was fully God. And if you, if you can't go there, we don't have Christianity. If you can't go there, I don't care if you're a professor. I was just hearing about some professors at a Christian college teaching something other than that. And I'm like, I, I don't even know how you can call yourself a Christian. You say, well, that's kind of forceful. No, that's the word of God. Am I going to stand here and come up with, what, well, this is what I think about Jesus. It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what the book says. And the book declares that Jesus was fully God and yet fully man. And here he is claiming his deity. I am, the phrase I am. And those Jews caught on that like, like someone in our area would catch on to Michiana. Number four, notice the, the, these words. First, these words, come and believe. This is an invitation for those listening to place their faith in Jesus. Come, believe. The invitation to come is found throughout John's gospel. Coming to Jesus involves making a choice to forsake the world and follow him. Hear me, this is forsaking all the things that are not of God. Those, the world behind me, the cross before me, that's what you're facing today. God is calling every one of us to come to him and believe in him. Believing in Jesus Christ means placing my faith in him so that, uh, that what he, who he says he is, I trust that and I receive that. The last thing, number five, is notice the words hunger and thirst. Again, it must be noted that Jesus isn't talking about alleviating physical hunger and thirst, though I believe he does take care of our needs. The key is found in another statement Jesus made even back in, it's recorded in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Do you remember this? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Uh, think about that. When Jesus says those who come to him will never hunger and those who believe in him will never thirst, he's saying he will satisfy our hunger and thirst to be made righteous in the sight of God. Worship team, would you come? Let me say that what I just said. I want to make sure you get this. I want to say it again. Jesus is saying he will satisfy our hunger and thirst to be made righteous in the sight of God. If there's anything that history tells us about human beings, which all of you are, and by the way, you're male and female. God created you that way. If there's anything the history of human religion tells us, it's, it's that people want to seek their way to heaven. I mean, they, they want to be with God in heaven. And it's, a, it's almost a, 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 basic, a basic idea that I believe is built into each one of us. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says it this way. He has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. He set eternity in our hearts. And so, and so I think even the, the hardest of heart atheists or someone, maybe you're even here today and you're still struggling to really believe Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something about yourself. You're really struggling to believe that Christianity really is true and it really is the way to follow and it's the only way to get to God. You're struggling with all that. But let me tell you something about yourself. You want to be in heaven. You want to be righteous. You, 
there's, there's a desire. Now, our sin nature gets in the way all the time. But there, it's, it's inside of us. But the Bible tells us this. There is nothing we can do to earn our way to heaven because what? We've all sinned. Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Am I right? The Bible says in, in, um, uh, in Romans 6.23 that all of us, because of our sin, what do we deserve? We deserve death. For the wages of sin is death. Oh, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How awesome is that? There's no one who is righteous in himself. Romans 3.10, there is no one righteous, not even one. Our issue is we have this desire that we cannot fulfill. As a husband, I want to be righteous. I want to I wanna be right. I, I want to go to heaven, and I, I want to set an example for my kids. And, and even, even living next... Uh, side by side with my wife I, I want her to see a righteous man of God as, a, as a, any women in this place you, you want your kids to see you as a, as a righteous woman, woman of God and, and, if, um, and you want your husband to, to be blessed and, 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 and you want to be blessed you want your family to be blessed you want all, all of your family to, to live righteously and if you're single here you want other people that all of us we want people that, that we bump into to see a, a life of, of righteousness and, and going forward and, and, and be, being holy and we want to spend it but we have to get to the point where we realize it's not from my righteousness There's, my righteousness is as filthy rags you'll never be good enough and this is where Jesus comes in and he alone is the one who can give us spiritual life when the when those priests were back getting into the holy place, the tent, and they'd go in there and they'd do what they did with the, 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 the drink offerings and they'd pour that out, out in, in the altar, but they would take that bread and when they'd see that bread, it was foretelling. It was, I, I don't like that word. It was, it was saying what was coming in the New Testament through Jesus. He was the bread of life. And as we receive the bread of life, we are made righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the only way you and I are made righteous. You see what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. So when Christ died on the cross, he took the sins of mankind upon himself. He made atonement for us. When we, when we place our faith in him, our sins are imputed. They're placed on Jesus and his righteousness then, it's placed on us. Jesus satisfies our hunger and thirst for righteousness. He's the only one that can satisfy that. You can come to church every Sunday, and I'm telling you, it will never satisfy you enough. The only thing that can make you righteous is the blood of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice receiving freely. What Jesus did for, for us on the cross and putting our faith in him. So where are you at today? Where are you at today? Could you just close your eyes for a moment? I know I've gone long, but I just want to take a moment just to give you a chance to respond. You're here today, you say, Scott, okay, if I was honest with you, I'm not sure I've ever completely understood it that way. 
you're here today with your eyes closed. You're just thinking, where am I at spiritually? And, and in the Old Testament, the priests in the tabernacle, they saw those loaves of bread and, and they were even the sustenance for the priests. Those priests would eat those loaves of bread. Jesus in the New Testament declared himself, I am the bread of life. I'm not just going to feed your stomach, but I'm going to feed your spirit. I'm your sustenance. You can live on me. I want you to live on me. And you're saying, you know, for the first time, it's really dawned on me. I'm not sure. I'm really trusting in God for my everything. So before just a moment, we, we would take communion. I just want to ask right now, does anyone in this house need to get your life right with God? Does anyone need to repent of your sins, commit yourself to following Jesus Christ, and you need to get your life right with Jesus? So no one looking around right now, everyone's eyes closed. If that's you, would you just shoot your hand straight up in the air for just a moment? I want to pray for you in a moment. You say, yeah, that's me. I need to get things right between me and the Lord. Thank you for that hand. Who else? Thank you for that hand. There's three hands. Who else? pray this prayer with me right now just repeat this prayer after me Heavenly Father I thank you that you sent your one and only son Jesus Christ the bread of life to sustain me spiritually to die for me so that I could be made righteous through him I admit that I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness. I ask for forgiveness now. I believe in Jesus Christ that God the Father raised him from the dead and he is alive. I confess all of my sins. I repent of my sins. Forgive me of my sins. I commit my life from this moment on to serving Jesus Christ. No turning back in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I bless you, Lord. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise today? Thank you for what you've done. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, would you stand with me? Would you take those emblems? If you can prepare those, if you didn't get the emblems, the ushers will be coming down the aisles and they can hand you one.
and this is my daily bread. This is my daily bread. I look to you every day as my sustenance. This is my daily bread. I live off of you, Lord, your very word spoken to me. And he took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. Let's break it together. Can you do that? Just break it in half give it to them saying this is my body given for you do this in remembrance of me let's remember it thank you thank you Jesus thank you Jesus remember about being poured out in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you it's being poured out can you remember the blood that he shed for us was poured out for us hallelujah hallelujah how great is our God how great is our God come on sing it with me how great how great 